uh, sorry, I kept postponing. Oh, it's all right. That's fine. How is your writing this week? Oh, it's it's going well. It's going fast because I have to pick up the pace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I only did half as much last month as I, as I really need to be doing. So so I've already got two done, which I need to be doing. I need to be doing two a week. So, But they're like really working you. Is it too much? Well, it's what I agreed to. I mean, they, they keep telling me you don't have to write such long pieces. So I am trying to write shorter pieces. But um, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's it's not that. It's that I'm not used to I'm not used to writing, and anything like this, right? So I just got to get myself up to speed. I guess it's like if you develop the muscle, it potentially it should get easier then, and easier. Yeah, yeah. easier yeah. and less time, and then you can write your own stuff too with a already like, right. better, with better exercised <laughs> right, right kind of skill. How's it going there? <gasps> Sounds like it's a little dire. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how much update I want to do, but yeah, yeah. I, just last night, finally, the, the landlord who is trying to evict us last right. few weeks unlawfully, uh, I think, I don't know, did he send someone? It's actually funny to imagine, but someone um, attached like this eviction notice to our front door. Oh, so it took yeah. a while even to notice because no one called or like knocked or anything like that. Mm. And so when we noticed it, yeah, it's like a, a semi kind of official uh, eviction or mm-hmm. for now it's not even eviction notice, it's more like a threat of eviction notice if we don't get out and they're going to be basically the court proceedings will start which mm-hmm. we seem to be ready and I just had to you know this morning for a while I had to talk to the lawyer who deals with evictions uh, she seems to believe that we have a pretty good case of a kind of unlawful eviction from the side and potentially okay. yeah so she doesn't guarantee, but there's a high chance that through court actually will be kind of foisted on him as legal tenants and he'll have to, you know, accept us. But mm-hmm. you know what's fucked up? I mean, I always knew everything's rigged towards landlords and, you know, right. your experience of renting probably, obviously, you know, yes. in California. But what I still didn't know, like, it's interesting, this uh, Laura, she's in her 70s, she's like super experienced, but... Mm-hmm. Like she immediately said, like in either case, like the best case scenario, the worst case scenario with this mm-hmm. type of evictions, meaning that either you stay and keep it and mm-hmm. finally he accepts your rent because for now he doesn't even accept it. Mm-hmm. Or let's say you get evicted and and you have to get out within, I don't know, two or three weeks. You mm-hmm. still owe him the back rent that then he will, I guess, by court will accept or something or mm-hmm. demand it that he doesn't accept now. And basically this kind of aggressive, unmotivated uh, kind of, you know, feats of temper from landlords, like mm-hmm. they, they're not penalized for anything because well. either way, which is kind of ridiculous because then it means that all in all this kind of tenant landlord mm-hmm. feuds, it means that tenants frequently just fighting to pay the landlord yes, either you're way. fighting to pay him. He can't. Yeah, he's yeah. not losing and, either way. <laughs> yes, and, and I knew we're fighting to pay him and it's demeaning, but just how it is. But I'm also like, wait, there's no penalty for being kind of an aggressive yeah. asshole with no reason On as the contrary. <laughs> yeah, but how come? So he, I see yeah. the only kind of like potential thing, like, okay, he'll pay, I guess, court fees, which is, I don't know, yeah. not, not they're not, not going to be that high, whatever happens to to him what the hell so everything is lyric towards landlord i'm somehow I have a real awakening even though i know it's kind of late mm-hmm. and naive but i, I don't know but you kind of knew it i guess all <laughs> long well, no, just, I, I wouldn't say that i didn't know the specifics but it doesn't surprise me because it just seems like just you can just the way the culture works it always rewards <laughs> it always rewards the capitalist class it always rewards assholeish behavior it just seems like 
yeah, yeah. Well, this doesn't even penalize it i mean it's sort of like yeah basically mm-hmm. it's re- rewarding either way yeah and he can i guess get off on the fact that there are some kind of court proceedings mm-hmm. but in it's the fucked up thing obviously in the best case scenario where we're fighting to pay him which is mm-hmm. sounds insane <laughs> right. uh, he'll still like he gets the money let's say we win he still gets the money but there's like a bit of the win because i know he's like super annoyed uh-huh. he doesn't want us here and uh-huh. if he if you know he'll be forced to accept us i don't know it's still some sort of win <laughs> but um <laughs> okay. but yeah that's uh, anyway that's well that's good <laughs> that you can feel that way because you know clearly that there it's also the banking on most people just can't stand the stress the stress and they'll just bail just so they don't have to deal with. Yeah, that's interesting. But I think yeah. I should kind of thrive on um, not all types of conflict. I'm somewhat conflict averse, mm-hmm. but in this case, no. I kind of it makes me th- like you know I, I'm thriving on that. <laughs> right. So, so that's um, unusual. Most people, and I have to say, probably me would just be like, I can't even handle the hassle. I'm just going to bail <laughs> out of here just so I won't have to deal with it. So it's nice that there's people who are like, no, bring it. <laughs> yeah, and I know Yash is even more like that than me because you know mm-hmm. his whole you know the, kind of the job actually entails. He may have mess with the wrong people, which is always nice when that happens. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, we'll show him. He will take our money. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, Damn so it, like, Val. He what will a- force to accept our right money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please, Victor, take take our thousands of dollars. Take it. And in the background and for the future. <laughs> I mean, it just it's like literally this kind of, you know, we are just joking, you know, landlord. I never thought about it when it's in your face. It's lord of the land. And then mm-hmm. where he serves, and not the only one, because he has a bunch of properties, and also there are like a few units in this building. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, literally the serves, because the serve back in the day would kind of like work to provide food for his own family, and also like pay part of it or give part of it for the landlord who would mm-hmm. like sell it and I don't know live in the some kind of in the <laughs> in the capital of the land that the serf is working or toiling mm-hmm. toiling I guess it's right. sort of similar I mean I, I, not that big of a stretch because what the hell why some guy got here earlier yeah, right. and and he's just not even here and for some reason he has claims to mm-hmm. I really think property is kind of theft I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. but um, <laughs> it's not an original idea it's in it like Proudhon I think, but, uh, but yeah, it's always it poignant just, when it actually comes, its heel comes right down on you. <laughs> that yeah, makes all the difference. Really, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And it's like when you really personally feel it, you're like, yeah, yeah. of course, property is left. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but uh, especially when you like not just have your own little property that it's like yours and you let's say like you now and you kind of mm-hmm. have to, I don't know, take care of it, but you have multiple properties, like that doesn't happen in the animal world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, it just makes no sense. Like, imagine, like, if an animal took over, like, I don't know, five different locations and would well, run around. I don't know. That gets tricky, though, because then you've you got animals that have huge turfs anyway, and no other animals are allowed to come on them. So that that's sort of close. But no one's going to rent rent their turf to another animal. It's different. It's like you kind of, someone comes in, like a stranger, you don't want there, and you have to run physically to yeah. get him out or her with your own body as an animal, as a coyote or right. whatever. This is not the case. The guy no. is like, I'm also looking at my son. He's like, in, I don't know, he's... 70s he's frail we would have won like we would have got him off our turf so that clearly has very different kind of implications than in the animal world you know right, so what right. the hell is this rant about he's yeah. kind of weak yeah so i don't know the legal system is just fucked yeah it is yeah very... but anyway 
so okay let's uh let's move on today is okay. like a dark dark topic <laughs> yeah it is it's a very dark topic today we're talking about the nexium so-called nexium cult though if you see it written out it looks like nx um ivm but it's pronounced nexium um and you you probably have heard something about it it was such a huge uh, uh what revelation scandal of this this crazed most people call it a sex cult because there was sex slavery um involved in the in the deepest yeah. recesses of it so yeah but at any rate there's a show um a nine episode hbo docuseries um show and what we watched two episodes and the third one's coming up it runs sunday nights so it's yeah the third one's yeah, so that's today's yes, quite dark, <laughs> quite dark topic, <laughs> and it's a, an especially you know, cults are always luridly fascinating. I think I don't think that's an unusual take that yeah, that there's something um, sick and fascinating about the whole cult subject, um, but this one's particularly interesting in that. Very unwisely, the 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 head of the cult, Keith, what's his name again, Ron Ranieri. 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 Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to be pronounced that way, but it is. Um, was actively encouraging almost not the really super secret stuff, but almost all the exchanges to be recorded, whether fully on film or just you know sound recording. So all the phone calls. <laughs> I mean, so the, there's just this insane wealth of recorded material on the interactions um, people are having in this cult, which is a real, that's a real boost. You're not, not just having talking heads kind of trying to recall or recreate what experiences were. You're seeing an awful lot of them. So that's, yeah. that's a big plus in the documentary. Yeah. But even though it seems like to be, uh, there's more kind of audio, audio yes, like tons of audio are, on every phone call being recorded yeah, and yeah. and then within the film like just briefly it's a super interesting subject but i think they really dragged it out why it has to be nine episodes not clear because the first two that are almost an hour each definitely just it's sort of padded with stuff and i think everything can move way faster yeah that's you know, the biggest be. as far as i can tell critical complaint that it's okay, way people say that. oh god yeah that's yeah. like a lot of people are saying oh it's really good it's really engrossing but god it's padded I mean, it yeah, never needed it, to be nine episodes. Yeah, no, unnecessary. And and you know this. Uh, it's, it's, when you even see this, like basically audio recordings being just <laughs> laid over, um, just some kind of really basic. I don't know. Purely, I think, added some kind of mm. weird footage that's supposed, I guess, to relate to the content of the conversation or some mm. sort of. Um, I don't know, thematically or I think aura wise. It just sometimes it's so cheesy it almost doesn't work, even though it's super interesting to hear that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it could be definitely faster. But that's I mean, that's clearly HBO wants more of a kind of like suspense, right? It cuts off at some kind of interesting moment in the yes. end of an hour. Big, then big you cliffhanger moments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh -huh. right. Yeah. So they you know, I guess uh, whatever. That's that's their business model. <laughs> but yeah, but one of the things immediately for me was um i mean it was interesting but you know like america is so interesting it, it's really i think i mean obviously not the um kind of motherland of cults but it, it i think that's a country with the biggest number of like cults in it, especially mm -hmm. in the 20th century it's just it's just so proliferated i mean it's such a such a fertile ground for that stuff it still well, is, even better along those lines is is both the documentary itself has people saying that the kind of the lesson, at least so far from what I've seen, is how e people think. How could you ever get wind up in a wind up in a cult? But this shows mm -hmm. you how we're all vulnerable. Everyone could wind up. And in fact, one of the 
one of the filmmakers really insists on this, and, and I'm going to quote her. Um, I'm, 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 I'm trying to find her name, and I'm like, oh, um, uh, oh, might not be a woman actually. Jehane Nujame and it's and Karim Amer. They did the Square. Um, uh, are the documentary filmmakers? Um, but Nujame says everybody is in doc is indoctrinated in some way. It just depends on what your indoctrination is. That and is then true, the implication yeah. is, well, and that's true. Sure. We're all somewhat indoctrinated. You're indoctrinated into your culture, your language, all of mm-hmm. these things. But the implication that anyone would be equally vulnerable to something like what we're seeing. And that's really the goal of the first two episodes to show how you could get drawn in step by step. You don't think you're joining a cult and how you wind up in one, but it just seems like you're watching something where everyone isn't going to be vulnerable to Nexium. Nexium is a very particular come on that's clearly going to appeal to certain types of people that they're manifestly going after. They're going after middle to upper class white, mainly white people, educated or or at mm-hmm. the very least, they think of themselves as high <laughs> achievers, potentially high achievers. They want to go yeah. really go big places. If they're an actor or something, they expect to be a major actor. And if their career stalls, they go into crisis and all this jazz. So you've got this sense that right away there's a profile plus as as we know Keith Raniere went after the after wealth so mm-hmm. the, um, he's, his backers are uh, uh, Claire and Sarah Bronfman of the of the Bronfman fortune the Seagram Seagram yeah yeah, the Seagram alcohol um, fortune, and that's they were basically <laughs> the ones funding <laughs> the cult to the tune of just gods, gobs, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars just down the rat hole I to think keep like this thing going. Says hundred fifty million dollars was sucked yes. into out of that fortune. <laughs> Incre- yes, <laughs> to the bad. point that the father is it Edward Bronfman. It was you know trying to sort of consult and find out is there a way I can apparently they had free reign of the money they were inheriting. Is there any way to get a cap on this? Is there any way? <laughs> <laughs> to stop them from hemorrhaging money, though I guess he kind of gave up on the idea um, before the arrests actually happened. Now, of course, Keith Raniere and a number of the most high profile, the top, his top people are, you know, up on charges, have either pled, t- taken a plea deal um, to lessen their charges to, to turn him in. He's waiting. He's He was convicted on all charges, and which include what? Sex trafficking. Racketeering, racketeering yeah. sex with a minor. There's just a super long, you know, essentially, I forget what the exact charges, but they essentially had people held in slavery, um, all sorts of things. He's convicted on all charges and just awaiting sentencing, which is coming, I think, October 27th. Um, but at any oh, rate, I wonder if HBO kind of timed it. You know, it's probably by October 27. Everyone watched nine episodes, right? Because it, it is going to go through into October, isn't it? So they're probably yeah. yes, going to have the final reveal or something at the end. Yeah, that'd be smart. But I was really struck by that. This constant harping on everyone would is vulnerable. You can see how anyone would kind of. And I'm sitting there going, no, no it's exactly the wrong come on for me. <laughs> Absolutely the wrong come on. I mean, these are people who, <laughs> who. At least as they describe themselves. And, and the, the two main people are Sarah Edmondson. She's the disappointed actor one who winds up in. And then Mark Vicente, who's the filmmaker with a huge ambition, who gets segued in. Um, and so they, they, they are the ones who early on bail and then 
you know, um, go to work with the prosecution, basically. Basically, the, the rhetorical come on is very much in the speak that's familiar to anyone who's ever been forced in their jobs, usually into mm-hmm. like corporate team building exercises. I mean, so the people, these people are people who can use a phrase like how to optimizing your potential without being embarrassed by them. They seem already to be in this kind of mindset of the wellness industry, which is also corporate, corporate team building. Um, I guess Ann Rand was a huge... <laughs> Inspiration for him, yeah. Yes, for for Ranieri. Um, And they seem really comfortable as as they represent themselves already into this idea of achievement in these terms. So that, you know, they're just, to me, they're just like, well, you're sitting ducks. Because, you know, when you, it is really unimpressive when you're watching, you know, examples of the first meetings. It looks ridiculous. You know, you're at some sort of Hyatt Regency type hotel. It's really shoddy and cheesy. The conference center, people are trying to earn different colored sashes. The, they even comment on how, how unimpressed the sashes are really too short. So they look ridiculous <laughs> and they're, and they're wrinkled. They clearly look cheap. And you're just like, what? <laughs> so it takes a particular kind of person, I think, to be able to hang with with that kind of thing and yeah that wouldn't work with everybody but anyway go ahead yeah but i guess i just wanted to slightly look at the bigger picture i I believe you wouldn't you wouldn't have joined that cult for sure but uh, but i kind of look at the bigger picture and i guess it's again my experience um as a foreigner here might might add to how i look at it but it really seems that um you know ultimately it's a very kind of again uh keith ranieri openly talked about and you can read in articles Mm -hmm. he was early on inspired by Anne rand atlas shrugged found you know all those characters Mm -hmm. uh what is it fountainhead and uh you know so he clearly believed in this um you know, and he's a obviously a snake oil salesman, mm-hmm. but uh, who is very actually pro hierarchy, and yeah. at the same time, it's just some kind of like self actualization. I don't yes. know, and all that stuff. But and which is ultimately actually is a, again seems to be very very like a fertile ground for these ideas in any mm-hmm. shape or form. Less culty, more culty in America is a very fertile ground for that. But this specific cult was interesting because, I mean. Uh, you're right that it appeals um, and kind of targets a sort of a very particular demographic. Yes, mm-hmm. pretty v- very wide, middle, upper middle class, something like that. But it kind of seems that it still attracts a, like a pretty wide variety of uh, cases because the, on the one hand, you can definitely see like any cult that also has this kind of service of providing you with a community. And so a lot of like lost um, somewhat lonely, kind of confused people who are sure they might have some money or access to credit cards, and that's why they mm-hmm. can afford those to even enter that world. But they're pretty, definitely pretty lost. And at the same, and they actually might even like this kind of hierarchical structure in this like sashes, sashes like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Oh no, that seems right? like a this... stroke of genius. And then you have to earn stripes on your sash, and it all becomes like this competitive higher achievement thing to go step by step. Yeah, it's really smart. Correct. But at the same time, what's interesting, you think, okay, so these people, yeah, oh, poor people, of course, they're lured into the cult and somewhat like vulnerable, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, people like uh, the um, sisters from the um, uh, Sigma yeah, Fortune. Yeah, uh, are Yeah, lured yeah, like multi, they're like billionaires, I think, mm. the w- women are, as yeah. well as their father. And they're lured too. And I was like thinking, okay, how is that? Because they're clearly probably mm-hmm. not 
don't have to be neither alienated or lonely or I don't know, somehow have struggles with their, I don't know even what work mm-hmm. or identity or something like that, like those other actresses you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, no, they're also lured by this kind of weird hierarchical structure and the promise of self-actualization. So it's basically, it's a bit like a weird kind of like a multi-angle thing that changes, depends on who is looking at it, right? So so clearly they, they, those women were attracted as well. And there's like an interesting quote, I think it wasn't from one of the articles you, you sent me. It mm-hmm. was kind of funny, but also sad. So one of the sisters, I think that's the one who, I don't know, she seems to be not under persecution because there's Claire Bronfman and mm-hmm. then Sarah. Mm-hmm. And so Sarah said that, and she was like, oh, I don't know how much you know about my family, um, uh, Sarah says, um, mm. admiring the silky cloth around her chest. Um, oh, right. Sashes, oh, basically. Yes. She, she says, but coming from a family where I've never had to earn anything before in my life, it was a very, very moving experience for me mm-hmm. to be awarded this yellow sash. Yes. It was the first thing that I had earned on just my own merit. Right. Right. Um, Okay, so there's that. I don't. There's a clearly, you know, Ranieri as a snake oil salesman did something right. And they do talk. I think it's in one of those many articles on the sisters, because of course everyone was fascinated by exactly this. How when you're when you are multi, multi, multi millionaires and your own right, you can do anything. How could you be vulnerable? Sarah made more sense because as she was described, she was the more lost soul, the more vulnerable, didn't have a lot of achievements. But Claire is the one who is, everyone said, was much tougher and had become a real force in the world of like, you know, fancy, you know, Olympic level horse ride. In fact, she was supposedly going to be on her way to the Olympics. I forget if she bred them, but she certainly rode them at a really, really high competitive level. And I think it's Claire is the one who becomes the more... Uh, uh, what you know the the, the in, in greater trouble because she was the more loyal lieutenant. Yeah, so she's in a way more mysterious because she would have been the tougher nut to crack. At one point, she said, "I don't really like most people, so I should probably go buy an island to live." She had this kind of tough sound of someone who had evaluated where she was in life and was going to go after what she wanted. So she just seems like wow. Sarah seems like vulnerable in many ways. Their father was not great to them. They were a very belated, I think, second family, not really not really taken in by the older siblings, half siblings. And I don't know. I guess there were various ways they were kind of undercut in the in a rapacious family structure. But um Claire is the odder one. She gets pulled in even harder um, than Sarah when she actually had a life. She had real achievements going. So, but it does seem as if Ranieri went went for that profile. Like I said, I said he seems like he was going for people who wanted to be the high achieving ones, like Mark Vicente with his. He has some, you know, kind of absurd line about how much he wants to accomplish as a filmmaker after he sees Star Wars. And he says, George Lucas had Joseph Campbell as his kind of guru, inspiration figure. I I will be essentially the George Lucas, but I will have Keith Ranieri. And so that's how far he thinks he's going. He's the one, of course, who's deputized into constantly filming and recording everything, which then gets turned around and made a, a different use of once he finally becomes disaffected. And it takes him forever. I mean, his wife, as he admits, is on, is onto it way before he is, and he won't listen for the longest time. So that's kind of an amazing thing, mainly because he's become a kind of best buddy, right, strong right arm to Keith Ranieri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but then again, I mean, as a supposedly documentary filmmaker guy who grew up under um, 
right after I think apartheid uh, regime in South Africa, shouldn't he be a bit more savvy? Because uh, we still haven't gotten into the kind of the, the gist of Nexium rhetoric. Because when you even hear what ESP, they constantly say ESP, ESP mm-hmm. is, which is Executive Success Program, right. which basically what Nexium offers you, yeah. Executive Success yes. Program. I mean. Right away, mm, it's so banal and like, dumb and corporate. Banal, like, red flag. Not even like scary, just banal. Some kind of yeah. like clearly some like, oh, just yeah. I, I don't even know some fake, uh, some fake stuff. But it, what, what's interesting about it, despite how banal this shit is, uh, at the same time, it, quite a few people, uh, I think even from those two first episodes mm-hmm. that are out, a few of those actresses did admit that when they like first like attended some sort of like the preliminary meeting. Yeah, they thought uh, that. They too. were yeah, they were kind of like <laughs> they weren't impressed. Back. Right, right. Yeah, n- not only yeah. not impressed, it's like what is the shit? Almost like had the right kind of gut instinct. Yeah. And were also a bit appalled by Ranieri if they saw mm-hmm. him early on because it, it didn't really come off as a He's an know, incredible Jesus. twerp. <laughs> you, they keep telling you how charismatic he is and you're like, is he? <laughs> wow. Must be different if you're in the actual space with him, I guess, because he sure doesn't seem like it. And I admit the first time he sort of seems almost a bit repulsive and I yeah. think he kisses everyone on the lips, on the lips. and he's sort of, <laughs> there's something unpleasant about him. And mm-hmm. they admit it, and then they say, "Oh, but after five days of the intense ESP training, mm-hmm. it all changed." Uh, yes, and and okay, and that sounds exactly like most. I mean, any uh, money sucking kind of cults mm-hmm. work because I mean, that, and that's where I think not you or me obviously still could be vulnerable to mm-hmm. that stuff if if somehow forced into this five day training. Because from what I understand, that um, Keith Raniere and his partner Nancy mm-hmm. Zaltzman, who I think uh, professionally trained some kind of nurse hypnotist, uh, <laughs> she been a hypnotist. With, that's a lovely point. <laughs> yes, a trained hypnotist. And I think mm-hmm. they trained in some kind of this uh, what do you call neuro linguistic, basically you know like the way you can. Definitely Definitely manipulate and influence just people's psyche without them necessarily Mm -hmm. even (laughs) allowing you, right, of being into it. And uh, so, right, what's an example that they supposedly cure someone of their Tourette's syndrome? And we kind of and we watch him before and after. He seems to have absolutely the worst case of Tourette's you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly he's speaking fluently and easily. And Mark Vicente, now I'm trying to remember, was he afraid of? He was afraid of being traffic or, or, or super agitated by being I in traffic. I think agitated at LA traffic, yeah. oh, whatever, and, and then, then it stopped. And then it just stopped like a miracle. And so that kind of, admittedly, that's the, that's the strongest claim. It's like they could make something happen to you that seemed to remove some whatever, some experience, some horrible emotional experience of your life or even a kind of affliction like Tourette's. That does start to get into an area of, wow, that's actually a little, you could see how that would impress people. Sure, but then it's almost like some kind of Jesus healer stuff, which mm. I guess, yeah, I guess you can lure people in, but it seems to be, I don't know how many, is it is it a real thing? Did the guy, the guy that's uh, that, you know, Others real- have attested, we haven't gotten to it so much into the, the backstory of Ranieri is that his power of suggestion was extraordinary. He really was very good at implant. He told one woman that he kind of coerced into sex. I don't think it was his ex-wife. Um, what is her name? Tony Natale, um, who's who's written a lot and supposedly is going to do a book and mm-hmm. then have have a documentary on her too. But at any rate, she talk, I think it might have been her. I can't remember. But she, she someone got, sort of got coerced 
burst into it and he said something absurd to them like, some women claim they see a blue light when they have an orgasm with me. And the woman said, actually, I did see a blue light. and But that didn't make me think, God, it's because he's like a miracle man. It's because the power of suggestion obviously works on me. So this person actually apparently, you know, figured it out that you can have the idea planted and then your mind will you know, confirm it for you. Well, but again, yeah, so I just checked, yeah, uh, did I say it right? First time neuro-linguistic programming. I mean, that Mm -hmm. clearly exists. Yes, you can like mimic. But it's never, at least it's not clear up through episode two, like how exactly they're deploying it you know, they do a lot of saying that how impressive they are. Ranieri's constantly bragging himself up um, about what a genius he is and, you know, that he's registered here and there. And apparently there's a whole article just on the millions of patents he's registered because the patents, apparently patent laws are so loosey-goosey, you can, you can register, have it rejected, but keep Re reapplying, making minor changes a million times, and often you can just break them down. So now he has a number of patents, not as many as he claims. Like some inventions, of, yeah, inventions uh, of his own. And apparently, this hasn't manifested in the documentary, but I was just reading about it. There's a whole article about how he's just this this absolutely tireless manipulator of things like that. Because if he can claim he has, you know, ultimately seems like his goal is he wants to say he's got hundreds right now he might have 47 or something but he's okay. got many many more pending that that's one of the ways he builds up his credentials to wow people i don't care how he presents himself because it's really all this like smoke screens and mm-hmm. it's really hard to get to the like the <laughs> the kind of the heart of it but if you just look at the both like facts and post factum after what happened now and also his history i mean he comes from like i think his dad was an ad man and he kind of mm-hmm. got into the right. similar business early on actually he's not some mm-hmm. kind of like a genius physicist and there's nothing to his name in terms mm-hmm. of like theory and he's science, in a skincare but, company for a while with yes, his ex-wife what it's is to his name is that <laughs> yeah he created this pyramid which actually i'm familiar with that because uh during uh, like in russia in the 90s when mm-hmm. they, they kind of the uh sort of uh i don't know what communism socialism collapse all these things were very new and they were all around us like i don't know around you 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 can see that this pyramid where people are encouraged to sort of buy almost like chunk of that skin or buy some skincare Mm -hmm. and then they can sell it it's like what do you call those things and then they try to lure other people into both buying it and also becoming sellers right and and it seems like his renary was running exactly this exactly you always had to be pulling in more people for anyone at the top to be earning the money because you're sucking in the money. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest world companies that did it was like Avon, if I pronounce it right. There are a few. Oh, there's Avon, but and there's also Amway, which which oh, Amway, which right, he worked right. with. He worked for Amway for years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. This is so. This is like one of the mm. this biggest scams generally. America, kind of like America, I guess, in, mm-hmm. invented and then exported probably yeah. all over the world, <laughs> definitely to Russia because I'm familiar with it. I think. Right. Right. And uh, yeah. Uh, some even probably I can't remember exactly but some acquaintances probably with my mom were sucked into it I don't know when they had to make money but uh, it it sounds like a horror show but anyway and so this is what is real to his name not some Mm -hmm. kind of scientific achievements and then after I think this somehow collapsed or he does graduate from RIT apparently at a low grade point average I think I read it somewhere it was 2.26 or something he was not some huge achiever yeah Uh, 
Yeah. And then, okay, after skincare thing, just factually, again, he moved to some sort of other vitamin, uh, vitamin-like mm-hmm. pyramid business as well. So it's all this kind of like business-like scams. Mm-hmm. And then they finally landed, I think, or met this Nancy Zaltzman character mm-hmm. with a background in uh, <laughs> hypnosis and uh, neurolinguistic Well, yeah, and there's a funny story on that one, at least according to the ex-wife, Tony Natale. She claims that she knew Nancy Zaltzman and asked her, could you do something to help me with my boyfriend because he's done mm-hmm. his behaviors are are so important. She described a bunch of his behaviors, probably you know, no empathy, and he's constantly working you know <laughs> angles on you. And and Nancy and Nancy Salzberg claimed this is according to the ex wife story. Oh, he sounds like he's got sociopathic tendencies. You know, he's a basic sociopath. Let me go try to work with him. And and, and so she goes and off to go talk to Keith Raniere for and four days later comes back and says to Tony Natale in a in a robotic sort of way, according to the ex-wife, you just don't understand him. You don't really know him. And Tony Natale went, Oh God, there's another one gone because he had this he had this potential impact on people. He could just mm-hmm. lure them in and completely convert them that he was to, to the idea that he was something extraordinary. So that's her story of how he ever got hooked up with who knows how true. Um, <laughs> that sounds his, pretty good. Yeah, it's a pretty funny one. <laughs> you know, since they're clearly those um, kind of like he approved of someone like documentary almost like film that was supposed to be made on him by mm-hmm. one of his major disciples that Mark Vicente that is in the documentary mm-hmm. but I think it never was like finished but there are parts of it I think like some um, clearly scenes that are they're like edited into the documentary so mm-hmm. I don't know I, I was trying to find like is there any published book or work by Keith mm-hmm. Raniere explaining his like this whole I don't right. even know what he calls it like um belief system I don't yeah. know this rhetoric I think it doesn't exist it exists from what you hear from the people and former members of that cult there were some brochures that kind of just state some sort of I don't know 10 point thing mm-hmm. about a certain new ethics that Keith devised and mm-hmm. how to what to live by to excel in life mm-hmm. and that and that sounds exactly what, back to some kind of stupid leadership programs at, at some corporate jobs right yeah or some, they like, always see like, MBA <laughs> yeah when you see the list or the things he says to people that are supposedly these great teaching moments they always have this kind of super exactly they sound like that these kind of banal talking points that you know team leaders have and stuff exactly (laughs) like it's not more insightful at least if you like some well so it has to be some kind of neurolinguistic stuff then i guess if you meet him and he looks you in the eye and talks to you for one hour Mm -hmm. you lost to the world something like that i mean i can Mm -hmm. sort of believe it but not on paper when you just read that stuff it's fucking inane but the weirdest thing to me for me is also it's such a weird it's not very consistent such a mumbo jumbo Mm -hmm. so one of the biggest thing he said is that okay it's all about becoming ethical people right. and if everything becomes everyone will slowly become ethical the world will not be easy. saved kind of yeah yeah the world the world history gonna change will mm. alter the course of history but mm-hmm. then he says but yet it's not easy because we live in this um what do you say he even says primitive culture right i guess he means america mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah okay agree it's a bit barbaric in many ways mm-hmm. but then what do you so and you suggest that you fight barbaric culture with this like uh single-minded uh, focused on yourself and your right. inner i don't even know what uh w- like self self-actualization basically mm-hmm. basically he offers ayn rand solutions 
to to already Ayn Rand world in a way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it actually do not, it's not even consistent in terms of just if you follow the logic, which I tried just to you know read and listen to him. It, it's it's really confusing, right? And mm-hmm. at the same time, some of the stuff he says is a bit almost pulled out of he compares even himself openly to Gandhi mm-hmm. I think to Jesus Buddha mm-hmm. he's like basically thinks he's up there and some of the stuff he says is kind of like just not true I don't think he lives like a monk or denies himself comfort but some of his stuff he says about materialistic culture and uh, that you need more spirituality and community mm-hmm. and blah blah and not just about yourself which seems to contradict the usual ESP program mm-hmm. it's all contradictory but when he says that stuff yes that's like what most world religions and real prophets sort of suggested we mm-hmm. should do but then it just doesn't fit with his, neither his with image the nor other, his program yes, yes. it's all such a mumbo jumbo so I'm like mm-hmm. okay yeah this is actually very kind of Jesus like but you're not Jesus you're a fucking false prophet so it, there's another element which you know it seems like he claimed it's interesting it's just like, I guess again slightly more vulnerable I don't know if people mm-hmm. are affected by it when a person claims to be a prophet and is consistently repeats that and there are a few other people around him who sort of also uh, support that claim, Mm -hmm. it's enough for people to believe that someone is a prophet. Just the idea of this, like, false prophet, how that even happens, right? Well, and and there's also the... You know, you're, and you mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a, there is a real seduction in, in having an instant community in a fundamentally, you know, lonely experience like you tend to experience in America when you're trying to achieve. It's, it's always presented lonely, as a lonely yeah. individual climb against everybody else, practically, to suddenly feel the sweetness of a community. That's going to be big. And of course, he knows that and is deploying yeah. it. And that's one of the main things people go on and on about. Like, suddenly I'm surrounded by people and we're all together and we all love each other and everyone's so kind and nice and we're all working together and blah 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 and then you're kind of like yeah but what are you working for they're all working yes. for the good of the organization all the time like and sleep <laughs> deprivation becomes a huge factor it doesn't get mentioned until the second i think it's the second episode where it's suddenly like you're finding out they're being urged to achieve and to transcend their own bodily weaknesses supposedly <laughs> by just like not it's non-stop I and mean, you barely have time to eat a sandwich as you're driving from one <laughs> thing to the next um and so of course you, you start getting completely addled and easier and easier to control i mean his one of the great sequences i think anyway is, is these idiotic all-night volleyball games that they're forced to go to that they're kind of coerced into going to but they have to stay up practically all night playing volleyball <laughs> which i I guess I forget why it's volleyball. It's his favorite sport. He I just forget. likes it. He just likes it. And it's this chance. And by this point, they all worship him. So it's this chance to actually be with this prophet figure and have him say things to you. But you're also go- wanting to go, yeah, but you're up all night playing volleyball. <laughs> like it, he must be going away and sleeping during the day. And all of you then have to go to work. And so, of course, you're addled and high, half high and having all these kind of and, and he's saying boring things that you're turning into and that everyone else is trying to get to, to him to have any kind of personal connection. And it all just starts reinforcing itself. So some of that is actually interesting to watch. It's so unlikely. And yet then you think about how well you function when you haven't been sleeping for a couple of weeks. It's yeah, that's a big help to you. And of course, that's a big part of how he winds up having the the kind of sex slave. Um, it's called, its acronym is DOS and it stands for Dominus Obsequious Sororium. 
which is you know one one inter, one you know translation is master over slave women but you know just the fact that you have both an acronym which of course is very kind of contemporary but it's latin <laughs> so it's connected to this kind of ancient culture shit <laughs> is a kind of brilliant thing so that's the you know the secret society that wound up grabbing all the all the headlines because it's all these Different women who get indoctrinated, they're put on starvation diets um, because Keith Ranieri prefers ultra thin women. Allison Mack becomes his, you know, basically the head, but on his behalf, you know, he's kind of head slave. Um, she's the, the the best known, I guess, of the of the actors, actresses mainly who serve him. Um, and um, she's from Smallville, the show. Um, and yeah, and then they start, you know, recruiting out of their own people, recruiting steadily um, one after another of the young women. And then, of course, the big scare headline is they're they're getting branded like somewhere cows, yeah. with his what's a con, you know, a kind of um, a mystic looking, but it's really the initials of Keith Ranieri in a kind of, you know, design um, branded in their pelvic area. Um, and yeah, there's not only that's you not only have the sex slavery, but you have the, you know, basically trafficking, trying to get often underage girls to come in forced them into there were a couple of cases of people being held in actual bondage um for a few years actually, for a few years in a room or something yes yeah. and being threatened with deportation if they did anything or tried to get out or didn't cooperate and so yeah so then you get into the really lurid and ugly secrets which of course by the end of um episode two you're getting your first intimations that sarah edmondson is part is been has been recruited for this and we're going to find out what happened. You know, I have to say, even though this is obviously the most like titillating part, yeah. like element of, of this whole story and mm -hmm. you know, visually, like they clearly uh, sort of uh, teasing that out in the docu-series docu as well. But I actually don't even find it like the most outrageous because it's sort of like, yeah, of course it's a cult, there's going to be some weird shit in it. But it. To me, interesting, even what you started talking about, mm -hmm. kind of like just the premise of this all. It seems that uh, the one of the main uh, kind of uh, protagonists uh, of the series, Sarah, kind of like a failed actress, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, who eventually even joined not only <laughs> the cult itself, but that DOS society and mm -hmm. was branded as well. But right. anyway, but initially, one of the things, and it seems a lot of people were like that rather than ultra rich sisters. She said that she found she. I think the direct quote something like she says, "I found my people, and mm -hmm. uh, they who work on their internal life rather than some kind of I don't know materialistic achievements." And it seems like this is, as you noticed, too, like a big element in, the, in all this, right? That that despite what else is happening, um, you know, in your daily life, you ha mm -hmm. you find your own community and support. Right. And you know, I, I, despite that, there are clearly a bunch of number, like a big number of other cults that you can mm -hmm. join to find your community. Mm -hmm. You know, things just happen, so you get kind of <laughs> you meet someone and you end up a nexus rather mm -hmm. than family or rather anyone else, rather than I don't know Scientology or, or what else is that. There. I guess with Scientology, you have to be richer. But um, so, but all of them, they kind of function sort of similarly. And again, it's, I think it's kind of interesting to just, um, you know, look at uh, slightly at America at large, why there's such, uh, I would say, kind of epidem epidemic mm -hmm. I, I, what do you say how do yeah, you say epidemic. that yeah it's kind of epide like epidemic obviously we don't know about everything I bet on a smaller scale there are more cults that you can ever know 
Mm -hmm. But uh, generally, there's definitely an epidemic here. And I think it's like very tight. It's no brainer. It's like a very tight to the kind of this new liberal way of living in a very isolated, um, usually in, at best case scenario. I'm talking about it, but not necessarily just lonely people, kind of this nuclear family spread out. Mm -hmm. all over the country and uh, there are really no communities and even the fact that you know people were impressed when they even first got into those like few day uh, intensive training at, at the Nexium, Nexium uh, is that someone really kind of carefully listens to them mm -hmm. and talks to them in this kind of like fake but for them I guess it's profound way mm -hmm. while actually taking a lot of that like some like ten thousand of dollars uh, for, for five days intensive and and that's what hooks the kind of like that's the hook and I kind of get this because in my experience here I mean it seems like sure people some people have really good friends and their friendships but then I guess you move around the country a lot but also on top of it some of the friendships are a bit different here from like old world that I, I know mm -hmm. of, which I consider Russia more part of the old world. And here, for instance, even the idea of that, I don't know, there's like a, almost like a, I, I felt once I finally figured it out, there's like a, almost a timer for small talk. Well, small mm -hmm. talk is disgusting anyway, but even any kind of like random interactions that mm -hmm. potentially can I don't know, develop or not develop into anything, friendships or anything like mm -hmm. that. Here are almost timed. So you, my point is that I think it feels that socially strangers are actually not supposed to interact here. Mm -hmm. So it, only in a very kind of regulated manner, there's no kind of really freedom of interactions and uh, only again, it's re regulated small talk way. And if you somehow by just the nature of, let's say being a foreign and overstepping this kind of mm -hmm. like the, like doing it longer or, or, or thinking mm -hmm. it's not a small or not even knowing what small talk is, you think you're just talking mm -hmm. or like, I don't know, communicating and, there's literally, I felt like a number of times early on when I moved, there's like a, almost like a timer it turns on in the person's head thinking, I don't know, what am I going to encroach in their private space? Mm -hmm. And they almost like, like crab away from me, like kind of like <laughs> slowly move away mm -hmm. or like sort of like almost scared, even though they're just, yeah. So, so I feel like this is so profoundly American. And uh, it, it, this type of like the kind of the social environment, because that testifies, I think, to the nature of social environment here, that I kind of understand this idea that, whoa, if you find even through cult and, and basically might be signing up all your property to them in some cases, not Nexium, but others, you find this kind of this really accepting community where you like spend a lot of time with people who and talk about your inner thoughts, which is actually normal for friends to do rather than being in therapies or in cults mm -hmm. and here no it's not normal you can get it either in like intensive therapies or some kind of this cult you know in, in the in the cult environment that also comes with potentially not not surprising to me actually with like i don't know some kind of sex slavery and all the kind of weird weird domination games you know what do you think of this Oh, I, I feel it intensely because I'm I'm a weird American and that my favorite one of my my whole family has always been like this. My our favorite thing would be to sit around and talk like by the hour certain days. I mean, like so I can I love telling mm -hmm. like long ass anecdotes and having very long conversations and sitting at cafes and bars and talking and talking for hours. Yeah, but over the okay. years, I've become very aware of how that is not a, that's completely atypical. <laughs> I've managed to find some friends who are like this, too. And we uh -huh. huddle together. 
but it is not at all the norm. So I have, I can't tell you the, how, how many times I've tried to tell what I consider an ordinary length anecdote. And uh-huh. I can just see I, I'm losing people like a quarter of the way in, like, and everyone just gets distracted and walks away. And I'm just like, yeah, you can't do that anymore. All those long ass stories, like those, those stem wire winder stories that, you know, of Mark Twain's America where people <laughs> sat around yarning and everything. I'm more like that. That's an old America thing where, of course, there wasn't a lot of distraction. You, you had to talk a lot. And now what it's just, do? <laughs> it's exactly, especially in rural areas, you were, you were, that's how you were going to entertain yourself. And it is not a thing. <laughs> I can't tell you. <laughs> so, yeah. So I've always been on the outs in that way. And, and But then you experienced kind of like what I'm saying in yeah, probably yeah, last absolutely. extreme version, because I'm like, was a tall foreigner and don't even get the mm. idea. Um, first, didn't get the idea of small talk that this kind of like literally times up. Yeah. What you're doing is weird. Like, I'm going to like, like, I don't know, avert my eyes. <laughs> Yeah, or, the inner or you're right, they start person. edging, and then there's a couple of phrases that are really good. One is, well, I'm going to let you go now. Uh. <laughs> Even though they manifestly are the ones who want to get away, they'll say, well, I'm going to let you go now. <laughs> that sounds I'm- like a <laughs> kind of Mike Judge movie. <laughs> I've gotten it a number of times and had have learned, like, you can only talk at length and tell long stories to certain people. Yeah, no, that's the thing. And again... You know, I don't think that's any big secret that that in America is a, a pretty harsh culture, contemporary America, and it's there's an awful lot of terribly, terribly lonely, isolated people. It's just bizarre social environment. <sighs> yeah. But where did you get? I want to get to the bottom of this. Mm. Where do you think you got your kind of like a weird Mark Twainy thing, rather than the contemporary American? I mean, um, especially sort of on my mother's. My mother's side. My father was kind of a silent guy, but my mother and her whole family were big talkers. But they were hugely rural. They were tenant, they were very poor and they were farm people. And so, you know, she was raised on tenant farms in the Depression and oh, stuff. Wow. And it was very old world. I mean, my grandmother seemed, she was born in 1900, but she seemed like <laughs> you could have found her in 1800. <laughs> I mean, her and her <laughs> family. Yeah. She even called herself a hillbilly and they, she talked like one and it was, it was old time. And so I think that's it, is that part of my family was just like these surviving traits from a much older world stayed stayed with us um yeah but yeah you definitely run up against exactly that that the, the timer has been set you have exceeded it and the person is on to their next thing and you're just like oh right. god it's so great to, that you like confirm <laughs> oh, confirm yeah. this oh, from yeah. even a different like maybe different world but it's like all the same shit doesn't matter uh-huh. like which part of like <laughs> i don't know which which city you live here because it's yeah. similar you encounter it everywhere but but again it, it clearly back to the kind of the analysis mm-hmm. of the whole maxim thing or any cult or specific the specific mm-hmm. cult it seems that people kind of actually even if they don't understand and they properly socialized americans with this timer in, mm-hmm. in them they actually want like they want this sort of c- connection i guess they like they want something else right they actually don't want to be purely purely like just an isolated state absolutely climbing they up the find, career letter. yes they're they're and they're you know notice how little they talk about their family they hardly refer to them no yeah <laughs> it's like they're all these kind of people loosely rattling around the country and you marry the the desperate longing for for community for people who really are your yeah. friends with the american burden of i desperately want to achieve and distinguish myself as an individual 
and it's like a poison combo. <laughs> it really is. Because one is driving you toward a kind of, I've got to distinguish myself from everyone. And another is like, but I want to be in the embrace of everyone. And it's just, it, it, that is one of the fascinating things about the documentary is to watch those two things working and colliding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And then another, like that. That's that's a really good point. That's positive. And okay, so yeah, as Americans, they want kind of both. They're a bit like lonely, so they want the community and the, kind of almost like a replace family replacement. But yet, they're supposedly ambitious and want to develop their spirituality. Well, well, and yes, and the spirituality goes with it. That's another. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to quickly kind no, of go ahead. Yeah, is the spirituality comes right together with the ambition. So, like, you've got Sarah Edmondson, the actress, saying. You know, I, my acting career was sort of faltering after, I, you know, and it wasn't what I wanted. And I start to think, well, who am I and what's my purpose in this world? And she starts putting it in these very cosmic terms. And that's just a step that takes nothing for so many Americans. It's like my spiritual self is tied to my achievement self. And both take me into the often into the realm of just all out fantasy. Like I should be able to be rich, famous, <laughs> beyond wildest dreams, successful. And you meet an awful lot of people who are not teed up in the, in the world for that, for that to happen, who nevertheless really think that just should happen as a matter of course and are baffled when it doesn't happen. And that's huh. when you can really see a kind of ruling ideology at work. I, I just used to be intimate with it working in independent film. And because mm -hmm. you were in film, you were someone who, even at the lowliest level, you were somehow <laughs> someone in that, in that realm of maybe you could achieve fame. You could do it and people <laughs> would confide in you. And, you know, you'd be shooting on location in just nowheresville and run into people who thought of themselves in terms of, but – but I'm just a step away from being an actor and being as famous as Clint Eastwood kind of thing. Well, you <laughs> told me like, or something like, I think I have a Clint yes, Eastwood vibe. This guy who's like, yeah, I've always thought I had a kind of Clint Eastwood quality, you know, and I, so I want to be an actor. And he was like 30-something and wasn't acting. And I was like staring at him like, um, <laughs> shouldn't you be doing something and not living here in this tiny rural area if you really – but that was his like mental life. It was shocking. So I just – yeah, you encounter enough of that. People don't want to say it because enough people are kind of aware that it's embarrassing. But it, mm -hmm. that's one of the good things I like about the documentaries is that looking back and trying to account for themselves, people will say, no, I had these colossal ideas of, of, my, of my, what I could achieve and what my spiritual importance could be. And it was all just like on a huge, huge like scale. Like they are big exactly. time. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, which is uh, sort of delusions of grandeur here. Generally, grandeur, grandeur, grandeur. Yeah, yeah, grandeur. It seems to be there, definitely very well, kind of nourished <laughs> from all oh, sides. Oh, perfectly. It's a perfect so a good heat that makes them just tough. such such marks, um, which is so poignant. <laughs> you know, you're encouraged in this culture to do your dream and all that kind of ad sloganeering. Do what and you love. Makes, yeah, it's makes one, you one of the great ones. But but you know, it, one one thing, despite all this mumbo jumbo of Keith Raniere kind of I don't know what belief system, it seems that besides the community that people were seeking, some sort of almost structure and this hierarchy mm -hmm. with the stupid sashes that they work towards, mm -hmm. there is this thing that um, part of his uh, rhetoric, the the part that more Jesus like, even though it's definitely he's full of shit mm -hmm. it was about kind of giving people a sense that they are joining something that is bigger than themselves yeah. and working towards something not just about what we talked about that it's there too some kind of spirituality mm -hmm. uh, becoming better and all that but also just actually 
the idea that you potentially doing something kind of not the primitive American thing, mm-hmm. but actually something bigger for the people, bigger than, than yourself, joining some That's kind of mean, movement. That's going to mean world peace, practically. Yes, yeah, change <laughs> yeah. the world of history, change the world history and yeah. all this, and creating ethical community, and then mm-hmm. everyone becomes ethical. What the hell that means, anyway? In his, from well, coming at the out same, yeah, mom. they combine science sounding thing, like, it's going to be rational inquiry, but toward ethical, blah, and it's all... Keith used the word, um, I think, integrated into Integrated yes, person work would never integrate. steal from another person. I'm like, do you look around America? Like, look at the people ruling this country. What do you mean that are probably happily integrated and stealing from everyone? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Anyway, this whole rhetoric is like really laughable in the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, oh, and uh, did we ever mention that? So mm-hmm. Keith and Nancy, the sort of. Uh, the uh, official leaders of the club mm-hmm. um, that you're supposed to refer to oh, them right. when you Their join titles. only as vanguard to yeah. Keith and he's to Nancy. He's vanguard and she's prefect. 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 <laughs> just Christ. Okay, what's that? No. Yeah, but anyway, so just to finish the thought. So uh-huh. there is that kind of element or obviously an illusion mm-hmm. that you're joining something and becoming part of something bigger than yourself Mm -hmm. but actually once you look at what their daily life becomes and what slowly this like high control Mm -hmm. whatever it's called the hierarchical group does does to you Mm -hmm. does to them it's actually plunges you almost deeper into yourself into it's actually there's nothing i mean it's sort of obvious if you logically look at it but even from the daily experience didn't they some people started question earlier than others some never mm-hmm. questioned probably but no he doesn't offer anything bigger than yourself in fact you're plunged into some kind of calorie counting uh behavior mm-hmm. and also just like i don't know esp executive training for uh like teaching other people a executive success program well especially because he gets to be the judge and periodically if you have inter- exchanges with him he judges your progress so like that that moment when Bonnie Plessy, who's starting to suspect, starting to fall apart and suspect this is not going right. And she says something to him about, you know, exhaustion and all this. And he just says, you're just blowing it spiritually. And they're on some casual walk together. But any time with him is regarded as precious. And so he always gets to weigh in on your progress. And he's always asking more. The longer you stay, the more you're asked to do. The more sashes, sash, the more, the better color sash and the more stripes on them, the more you're asked the next time. And it never ends. Um, That's true. And he told her, you're like, it's, you, you're doing it for other people. You're like failing them. Right. He was using it as sort of against her, this yes. rhetoric of, you know, being helpful to other people, which I guess she wasn't. Right. Enough. Right. She wasn't, even though she's giving 23 hours a day. <laughs> doesn't have time to eat <laughs> yeah it's really bizarre it's like a weird really mix of bdsm practice with uh, with yes. some leadership with some leadership thrown in leadership yes. program and some you know canny psych 101 just realizations yep. of what are people craving how do i fe- seem to feed that while at the same time blah 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 yeah and how well it worked they actually managed really well. huge get for i guess it was the bronfa sisters who actually persuaded the Dalai Lama, you know, to, to sort he of endorse them to for endorse $2 million, them. I think. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's yeah. the price of Dalai Lama. Yeah, that's that's how much you got to pay to get the endorsement. And yeah, it comes and speaks and praises. And you're just like, wow, really? And, you know, Bronfman himself, this, the later disapproving father, actually was persuaded by his daughters to take some classes and briefly, anyway, initially, went away singing the praises. So it's like, you know, 
for a while there, they were getting an awful lot of legitimacy. That's that's surprising. And, you know, there's all these maps showing how from Albany, New York, where the center starts, they're going around the world, opening centers in all these major cities all over the place. And, you know, who knows what that really means? You know, is it a Hyatt Regency room? I mean, what is it? But but nevertheless, the goal being you've got to keep spreading and pushing and building. And, you know, again, this is how you get to world peace in the end. Um, yeah. Pushing what, getting to, it's just so confusing. And I think that gets us to the, uh, I mean, an obvious point. It, it, it seems like ultimately what those people, at least like the well-intentioned, I guess they all well-intentioned, actually craved is some sort of participation in the society itself and almost like in politics, I would, I would say. But this thing diverts any potential kind of you joining of anything semi-real uh, in your com- community, I guess, to to this, to joining a cult. And, you know, I think the sort of, um, I don't know, the desire or some sort of inclinations are there, but it's the way everything is kind of, you know, the culture here or just sort of like, um, again, the very fertile ground for the mm. stuff that diverts you from and kind of basically teaches you something that, you know, I guess politics is corrupt, even though he never, Keith Rainier didn't talk about politics, but it's clearly like basically an apolitical anti-politics organization mm-hmm. yet structured in a very kind of actually political way super mm-hmm. hierarchical top down mm-hmm. vertical and all that so it's it, in, interesting diversion actually right mm-hmm. you would think right that's what's actually the craving so having some sort of almost like i don't know being a citizen or feeling that you have some power over your life i think someone actually literally said something of that kind yet the only way somehow they seem to be able to find it through submit, <laughs> submitting their mm-hmm. full will and, and also like all the sometimes the money they make to this like snake oil salesman. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really, I mean, it's really kind of sad, uh, seem to be like um, development, which are clearly not rare at all here because Nexium is not the only thing, not the last thing. Well, and it really attests, if, I mean, again, I don't know anything about the history of cults in other countries, but certainly, yes, there's many famous examples in America, and it does seem like there's a lot about the culture that's going to feed into yeah. so much weight put on so many to achieve so much that's just impo- really impossible given their circumstances, but you're told there's essentially no excuses. You know, it's a democracy, yeah. and we're all created equal, and you're supposed to be able to do miracles. Lincoln was born in a log cabin, and wound up in the White House, all that kind of stuff. That's really, yeah. really deep in the culture. And so you've just got a lot a lot of desperate people going, how, how do I make it happen? And then suddenly you, in so much of it is timing too. So that's handled nicely with the Sarah Edmondson. Um, her initial, she gets there and she's not impressed, but then she's told just wait till day, whatever, three or five. And it's, it's these time things have to happen and you don't know how much it has to do with how long are you amongst people who are all believing the same thing. And there's a trigger, there's like a trigger mechanism that will click in. Um, and then how long can you keep them before you start actively abusing them? Like, you know, Sarah Edmondson herself said, look, if someone had said, you know, come into our executive success program, we're going to brand your crotch. You know, no one would do that. So it's got to be what are the steps and how long does it take before you can do the next level of, well, now you're not allowed to sleep and now you're in debt. You know, because they had to keep taking classes, which are like between five and ten thousand per course. They were being constantly high pressure. So pretty soon they're in massive debt. 
So that's another thing that keeps you there. Shouldn't it be a red flag <laughs> if the guy, or not the guy, like the prophet, mm. the vanguard, <laughs> Keith Ranieri, you cherish, uh, charges so much money for for this that supposedly he says should help people? Why should you charge so much? It's yeah, like they, all these red flags. They haven't talked about it that much, but supposedly that was part of the Randian thing, that everything's supposed to be on an absolute market basis and that's some sort of key to strength. I don't know. But, but I would think it would be the same kind of thing. Well, probably at first you couldn't. I think it's got to be. They haven't really laid it out. But like, at what point can you ask more? And I think people have to, there's got to be something pretty expert that develops about, okay, they've been, they've been simmering this long. <laughs> now we can turn up to full boil. And when is it? And, and, or is it different for, re, for, for each person? I mean, even when you're in a political organization, you notice, you know, at what point are you asked more? And they even call it the ask, <laughs> you know, if you get trained into doing certain what they call one-on-ones. You got to end with an ask where you try to get someone who's only devoting, I don't know, an hour a month to start giving you know, 10 or 20 hours on a more specific project. And it, it has some of those qualities of when can you lure, get someone to go deeper? And when are they just going to be like, oh, okay, now I'm out because you're pressuring me. Oh, but it's good you mentioned the the, the groups because I completely forgot. There are, there are all this, basically, it's like, is Nexium is an empire run by Keith and inside it, your whole life can be inside of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yoga classes, uh, some kind of... Uh, they had uh, singing lessons. Right. So sort of like... Uh, you're being overscheduled, so you're always doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, so you can join something like that teaches you to what? Not the debate class, but something like uh, no, presentation, meditation speaking, and, yeah, meditation, speaking. all that. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems to be also, it's not just like, oh, that just popped up. No, that was somehow a central thing because then it encompasses your whole life. You mm-hmm. fully become, you might be already isolated, so you probably no one noticed that you disappear mm-hmm. off the radars. But if you're we're not as isolated then you fully get sucked into, into this fully like developed empire mm-hmm. like really dark world mm-hmm. filled okay potentially with some exercise classes and uh, all within it which again is a, such a total replacement for any kind of I don't know, normal community engagement that you would think generally people probably should do and not just but you know it seems like it's especially works for people who you know and then it's not all true of all of them but a lot of them if you, you know the Bronfmans for example at least one major article argued if it hadn't been for their disastrous relationship with their father who like just Mm -hmm. never gave them anything and for their being kind of on the outs with the rest of the family that was the thing that drove it who knows if that's true but i mean that sense that you just got your your in other words the relationships should be the ones that bind you to the world are exactly the ones that either aren't there or aren't satisfying Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden this is looking awfully good well great now i don't see my family but my family weren't were hopeless anyway, so that's that's kind of perfect. I mean, so reading ahead about what's coming up, we're going to be reading about Catherine Oxenberg, another actress, um, whose daughter India, I think her name was, get, get becomes totally an insider in Nexium and a member of DOS, and you know her rescue attempts is going to be a big part of the the arc of the show anyway. Oh, that's um, what's going to be. Okay. That's coming out. Well, spoilers. I didn't even know that. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, but it's in all the reviews. I mean, if you I read did, any review, they're, they're all yeah, telling you that that's a big part of you know what's going on. 
I think this documentary series have no spoilers because you watch it not for some big reveal at all. Like I knew more or less. Yeah, like a lot of people. Yeah, branding. People kind of know that. It's just interesting. <laughs> First of all, there's a lot of uh, footage again uh, mm-hmm. and audio stuff of the leaders of the cult, Keith mm-hmm. uh, Ranieri and Nancy's also. And so interesting to see there both the training videos and some mm-hmm. more intimate footage. So that's more for that rather than rather than for some big reveals and suspenseful stuff. So yeah. I, I feel like not losing much, kind of knowing what. Yeah, what, what's and coming. of course, either if you haven't heard about the case, anyone could read about it. <laughs> it's there's just reams you can't even get through all the all the coverage on this case because it was so lurid um, that you know, every publication um, put out a big long piece on this crazy cult. So. Um, so yeah, I, I, at least I hope it isn't a big deal not to know that that's one of the things that's going to happen. But um, yeah, that we're going to get lured in further and further. And of course, they're, it's very deliberately built so that the revelations about um, DOS are going to be the, 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 the big the big reveals that they're... And they even do some kind of cheesy things. The end of episode two, um, there's a conversation between Mark Vicente and Sarah Edmondson where he's trying to sound her out trying to tell her, I think there's something terrible going on. And, and she basically reveals that, or he guesses that she's already been approached and recruited for DOS. And then you get this huge close up of her turning with this mysterious half smile into the camera. <laughs> that's, you know, that's clearly the director's um, um, choice. It has nothing to do with what's happening. They're actually talking on the phone. There should be no visual. And it makes her look sort of half sinister um, and half kind of um, what um, having this little porny enjoyment is that, that kind of smile and I just watched that and went oh okay that went that was over the line as far as interpreting but it's you can see why that's a perfect cliffhanger because you know what's being promised is you know all the sh- more shocking sexual allegations are going to start emerging in the third episode it seems okay, so that, yeah. that kind of unsubtle <laughs> um, use of footage eh, eh, I don't I don't think that's so hot um, but a lot of it again is just the gift of all that recording uh, all that recording it's really mind-blowing again it's always good actually to look uh, in the eye of the false prophet and his nasty face and just kind of <laughs> hear how you talk because it's fairly common yes he has a soft kind of like soft spoken very confident oh yeah this guy was on covers of magazines and stuff yeah but just generally i think it's just kind of what he represents is a fairly kind of common occurrence mm-hmm. i think is actually just useful to see how he talks, how he holds himself, because that's like guys like him I don't, and, and women like Nancy. It's not just guys. Generally, this type of scammers are, you know, very actually <laughs> widespread. So it's almost like good to know how how that what's the vibe, you know, just and in for many almost ways, like to Nancy, protect yourself. Nancy's the more surprising because she has that overbright. <laughs> um, vocal delivery and that kind of nice middle-aged woman, um, quali- but who's achieved sort who's at, a, at a sort of semi-executive level. <laughs> um, but you know, she does all the all the initial um, what videos that people look at where when they're in the Hyatt Regency or whatever. She's the one doing all that kind of super bright jargony um, talk that is hugely off-putting if you're not into corporate speak. That's exactly what she's doing. And yet you can also see how she's such a handy help to, you know, the main male figure in a cult because she's going to be the reassuring figure. We saw something like that with the Epstein case, Um, even though, you know, what's her name is Ghislaine uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Ghislaine Maxwell. Um, She's a much less reassuring type, but just having the woman 
the woman in the room that lured in so many underage girls who thought, well, nothing's going to happen because she's here. But speaking of which, I, one of the more kind of atrocious um, court-related uh, sort of um, news is that I think not Nancy herself, but um, she has a few adult daughters that are also part <laughs> of the organization. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think her daughter Laura uh, is actually under pretty big, uh, you know, has big big case against her. Basically, she uh, is persecuted for holding a sex slave. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's she was right. the one who held and the sex slave for over for two years two in years. some room in yeah. her house. So that yeah. sounds uh, interesting. Yeah, terrifying. And they were with, weren't they? Weren't they both with him when he, he got picked up in in Puerto Vallarta, I Mexico? Think, uh, not clear. Probably, yeah. But I don't know where her slave then was. I in, can't remember in some other now. House. And, and, and he tried to hide in a walk-in closet as the cops were coming through the door. Sounds it was actually dramatic. pretty cinematic. I would imagine Hollywood would do like a biopic type of thing. You know, yeah, I wouldn't Puerto be surprised. Vallarta ambush. There should be something of the kind. The whole sex cult with branded. Women mm-hmm. just like cows. I don't know. I think yeah. No, this is something. After all, Paul Thomas Anderson tried to take on with the master. Remember, mm-hmm. remember the quasi L. Ron Hubbard take on on the on the con man and cult leader and how he does it and what his techniques are and blah blah blah. All that jazz. Yeah, but I guess in the end, I don't know what's the takeaway. I think it's kind of fun again, or even useful to watch just to to look at those scammers. But what. Interesting. I guess it shouldn't like at some point after, especially the big HBO documentaries, shouldn't it give like a general idea to I guess a bigger audience, just just people who watch TV, that you know, like clearly, if someone promises you some sort of big <laughs> breakthrough uh, and uh, I don't know betterment of yourself while charging you a lot of money and all that, it's just clearly. Like should be like a like immediate, don't do it no yeah <laughs> yes. no, like should be like yeah. an immediate not even oh I don't yeah. know they're weird vibes but actually no <laughs> this is this mm-hmm. is a scam and mm-hmm. also just a general idea but that's what you're describing it's like that people are so predisposed even outside of any um, scammers preying on them predisposed to kind of like both uh, weird this high kind of like pressure to high achievement mm-hmm. and also at the same time kind of a bit lonely and also constantly dig inside themselves and like reflect and think things over and try mm-hmm. to I don't know work on themselves all the time while it clearly I mean cult kind of like exposes it a bit it doesn't actually bring any potential like what happiness like it, it, there's like a weird sick quality of of uh, trying to find something like exceptional or I don't know, there's something inside yourself that will solve all your problems rather than somehow engaging with the world, you know? Well, it's very hard though for a lot of people, and I include myself, to just be like, no, these are the problems and they're always going to be the problems and there is no answer. (laughs) Yeah, but that's like, isn't it healthier? And then like, yeah, this is the problems and I'm a bit vulnerable if someone tries to like, you know, point at that, you know, and can take advantage, I guess, of this, but this is not going to be solved. So, but I can somehow engage in the world and that's how you kind of you know just live rather than (laughs) pursuing yeah i think it's just hard because however it happens and again in this culture it's kind of an everywhere thing i can't speak to others as much but the big expectations of yourself and your life they're it's not like you consciously set out to have them (laughs) you know they kind of whatever that bigness whatever form that takes and it might be spiritual and it might be career achievement and it might be a whole variety of things but the the expectation that something big is going to happen or you're going to achieve it or you're going to feel it or you're going to is i i can't help but feel is even even in my case i had it 
I had some weird idea where I got it. Nothing in my experience, you know, would have demonstrated that this was, but I somehow half expected to really make it big. I did. Isn't that weird? Just out of nowhere. No, but that's, no, no, no. That's specific to the industry. If you're in Hollywood or Hollywood. No, but I'm talking about as a kid. (laughs) When I was doing terrible, I had no social life. I was a total nerd. I hated my life, blah, blah, blah. Very unhappy kid. But I still somehow had some bizarro idea just built in that it was all going to turn and then I you know and I was going to be a big success somehow in life and I've talked to other people and we've compared notes well I think I've done pretty well but I mean yeah where did I get it it made no sense the sensible thing would have been like the level of like Clint Eastwood well I don't think I thought I was going to be a movie star but I thought I was going to be a big success yeah Uh like I just did and there was no indication I was not succeeding in everyday life in any way. Well, I was I was getting A's, but that's about it. Um, but but that kind of crazy. And I've talked to other people and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Oh, of course, I thought I was gonna. I thought I was gonna ascend. <laughs> Am I not an American? I don't know. I just think there's a kind of big thinking. And again, once you're in movies, you see this. You get this from people in a naked way. That that. That people come in who can't write or can't auditions are miserable if you ever have to do them because there's people who come in who have like I'm talking no talent like no talent, but they think they're going to be stars and you just you just encounter how many people have just for no reason got some idea that they're going to be and it's 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 perhaps a psychopathology just built right in here I don't know and I think there are lucky people who escape it and just think no I'm going to lead my ordinary life and I know them I'm going to hmm. teach high school and live here and have an ordinary family and that, and they're luckier because in fact that's probably exactly what's going to happen you mean this is going to happen anyway <laughs> yeah yeah but that seems smart <laughs> you know to be like yeah that's what's going to happen that's what's likely to happen and I'm fine with it that would be and better I would be happy maybe yeah, yeah. and this nagging <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but just part of the culture, even whatever, generally in America, not just California, not mm-hmm. just Hollywood, is that sort of there's this idea, right? It's not about necessarily kind of who your parents are, where you come from, the way kind of a bit old world things mm-hmm. are just sort of like more set, as, set in stone, more so than mm-hmm. here, at least on ideology level, the reality is it's very hard actually to pull yourself out, both out of your economic situation, cultural class and all. It's, it's actually really hard and I think proves harder every decade mm-hmm. and it's all like in demise. But generally the ideas are here and and so you can reinvent yourself, you can mm-hmm. become anything you want. And I think it's so strong here on all levels outside of, again, outside of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what contributes to it. And there is some, I mean, I don't want to fully, I mean, there's some, I guess, I don't know what freedom and beauty to this idea mm-hmm. in theory. Oh, yeah, there's some wonderful aspects of it. What's the alternative, or at least not the alternative, the old world thing that mm. we know, or historically, you sort of, let's say, born and um, let's say your dad is a cobbler, mm. and you either expect to become also a cobbler, or I don't know what, where can you venture out <laughs> close enough to being a cobbler or a wife of a cobbler and stuff like that. You know, isn't it like better <laughs> the way it is now? I mean, outside of the fact there are all the skulls that pray, that prey mm-hmm. on this illusion delusions i guess but you know the general idea that you can sort of like become something that i don't know your parents were not already very mm-hmm. kind of in- inspired and sort of new right right but you know there's no denying that there's like you can see there there are kind of sick iterations of like watching kyle rittenhouse and in, in you know the, sh- the shots of him striding through <laughs> with his you know arm to the teeth um, and you can see he just sees himself as having his moment. And this is my moment. I, my whole life has prepared me to be on patrol and ready to defend my community against these you know, 
rioting savages and you can just see it on his face like yep this is my destiny <laughs> and it's that kind of terrifying thing that, that yeah thinking you've got a destiny is already starting to get you into an interesting <laughs> an interesting mindset that can open up a lot of uncomfortable avenues as as good as some of it is that you at least think i want to do something interesting in life i don't want to waste my one life that is a good thing but it can you know it can easily twist <laughs> yeah well, but that's, you know, I bet it existed, you know, that general outliers existed all the time. And just now the kind of the culture generally supports those delusions, which some of them, I mean, like all life is going to hope is, and delusions to some degree. Mm. So sometimes it makes you think like, oh, but it's good to have delusions. It sort of helps you. Right. Yeah, you just, you, as you say, you just have to try to be hanging on to yourself at the moment where it starts to turn. Like, it's going to cost me how much? That's one. Um, wait, I'm going to be whipped and branded? Yeah, that's another. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a series of, there should be a list. When it's, this is happening, say, excuse me, I have to go to the store now and just never come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just general awareness of uh, anyone who claims to be a prophet, even if it's like, it ends up literally being Jesus or a new Jesus has to be looked at with like real suspicion because most likely it's a false prophet. Why would the hell? Why would the hell you would even go after someone who claims to be a prophet? Think ten times. Well, that's that's what it is. I don't know. I guess we're prone to, or a lot of us, to kind of falling for hierarchies and sashies and being patted. Kind yeah, of that's on the, the saddest back. part. It's like you know, that's worked like so well. High school again. <laughs> yes, it right. Works it's like so still well. Cliquey, cliques, hierarchies. We say, yeah. oh, we hate that. We hate. Her. But then, why do we? Because when you're on your yeah. own, you like end up joining a hierarchy. Yeah, I could just time. be the green flash. I'll do anything. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But then it's literally like school. It's like, oh, yeah. I got B. You have A. I mean. Mm-hmm. I have green sash. You're still yeah, in the you're still blue sash. A mere blue. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's like what I guess we should, as humanity, try to do, erode, like to get rid of, rather than go into a cult to develop that more that mm-hmm. side of the psyche. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, that, that's really kind of not just depressing, kind of embarrassing, right? That that actually that's what people. Um, you know, for a long time, you know, they seem to be enjoying that in that cult. Mm-hmm. Oh, Outside yeah. of sex I- thing and branding, just this this weird petty, petty hier- hierarchy. Yeah, in fact, episode one is all about the, the initial joy. It's all about the yeah. glee. I'm like, wait, how you even, even to begin with, even mm-hmm. before you like $100,000 in debt, how are you even enjoying this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's it costing you to enjoy this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's very, imp- that is an impressive way to start. Like how much joy initially and how it curdles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, yes, it's an interesting watch, at least as far as we've gotten. So I guess we can say we recommend. Yeah, I think it's ultimately useful. Mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely recommend. Mm-hmm. We should invent some kind of thing. What's that fat dad guy? Two thumbs up. We should have some kind of <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> there should be something else. Some kind of like, yeah. We'll have to come up with some code. Some code. Yeah. <laughs> A sash color. <laughs> yeah, ma- markings. Yeah. For, for for shows and films. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, I think um, I think we covered it. Okay. Well, I'll talk to you next week. Okay. Next time. Okay. Bye.